This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. It is a Sunday though, Rob, and I always feel on a Sunday it's important that we start with the live sport to keep people up to date with what's going on. Yeah, well, let's talk quickly about the Formula One. There's, there's not all that much to say. No. Uh, it was just same, one, old, same, old. same old, same old, really. And I know we say that a lot when it comes to Formula One, but Lewis Hamilton has had a blemish-free performance. He has had a, a cruise to his 89th victory of his career, an, an incredible career, which is destined to see him overtake Michael Schumacher, probably both in total race wins and in World Championships yeah, 1. Because I this agree. year, he is now almost certain to usurp the the legendary German when it comes to uh, races won. He's, 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 almost, he, he's, he's now almost guaranteed to tie the, uh, the German for championships won as well because he's currently on six. He's had five wins from seven races this season. The only other drivers who've also recorded a victory, Max Verstappen and his teammate Valtteri Bottas. Lewis Hamilton is 47 points ahead you know what, of as his well, nearest Rob, rival. Just to jump in, I almost feel like I need to apologise to him a little bit because we are a little dismissive in our tone. Oh, another win for Lewis. But that's kind of doing him a great disservice because he's still going out there and he's just supremely talented. He's just the best I know he's got the best he is, car, yeah, but he he's is. Just I the think best. the reason the reason it's a bit we always feel a little bit oh here we go again is because it's just so de- seemingly devoid. He makes it devoid of any of any sense good. of competition. But you feel that that sport should not be like that. No. It should not be like that, and you shouldn't have one driver r- winning five out of seven races. I don't think because I, I think that also. If everyone was on a level playing field, we all know, we suspect, even though we don't know for certain, but we suspect that he wouldn't win five out of seven races. If they all drove the same car, we suspect that he oh, wouldn't he, he win still five w- out of seven races. Maybe not five out of seven, but I still believe he is the best driver. If they're all in the same car, I still would stand by the notion that Lewis Hamilton would still, again, we're speculating wildly, there's nothing to base this on, but I still think over a season, all of them in the same car, would it be closer? Yes. Would he ultimately be champion? I still think yes. Because I think he is. And, and that's what I mean. Sometimes we're, oh, Lewis Hamilton's won again. And in a lot of ways, we kind of do over an apology a little bit because maybe we are a little bit too dismissive we do, but of his I just, talents. You know, perhaps, but I think we. the problem is it's, just, it's a recurring storyline that becomes wearisome after yeah. a while. Lewis Hamilton is spectacular in qualifying on pole position yeah. and then he cruises without really any incident or any jeopardy. He cruises to victory in yet another Grand Prix. And uh, and we're not seeing the excitement that we've seen in seasons past where he was dueling with, for example, Sebastian Vettel or in certain races where he's had, you know, excite, exciting run-ins with other drivers. At the moment, what we're seeing is absolute dominance. Mm. And it's not going to end anytime soon, I don't think. I just want to break away. We've had a message come in on 4001 from one of our listeners uh, pointing out that there is a huge fire in the Garhood area visible from Alkale Road. So do be mindful of that. I know Sono is checking up on that just to confirm the validity of that text message. But if you are in that area, please do take care. The roads may well get a bit sticky and they may well get a bit uh, busy down that way if indeed that report is confirmed and we will try and find out more information for you. So Lewis Hamilton... 
victor today in the Belgian Grand Prix. Tour de France stage two. We've got to say a massive well done to a man that I caught up with and spent half an hour having a wee natter to during lockdown. Alexander Christoph, the big Norwegian, flying the UE flag as he was yesterday on stage one, winning for UE Team Emirates. He has the yellow jersey in his midst. Whether he still has it at the end of stage two remains to be seen. That's a great win for UE Team yeah, Emirates. A lot of eyeballs on that. Stage and one they've yesterday. also got another another young rider by the name of Tadej Pogacar, Pogacar, I beg your pardon, who um, who has been doing very well as well, although has had to change one of his wheels. Mm. Um, this is we're now into the last fifty kilometers or so, probably the last thirty kilometers or so of this one hundred and eighty-six kilometer mountain stage. So we're expecting the the generalists to come to the fore. But uh, we don't exactly know how the sprint finish is going to pan out mm. as yet. So we have to await to see which riders position themselves for that sprint finish. But uh, Alexander Kristoff, just to follow up on his news, he has not rejoined the main peloton as yet. The yellow jersey lost a good couple of minutes to the main bunch on the unforgiving slopes of the colder Turini. And according to reports, it is difficult to see how he can keep hold of it for Monday. So it might be a short stay with him or at least a short tenure as the yellow jersey leader but that, that being said a, a nice feather in the cap yeah, to have worn it so. yeah he, he did tell me that he was enjoying his pre-season or pre-pre-season up in Norway he was fitter uh, he was feeling fitter than he has in a long time so look out for Alexander Kristoff he is a sprinter he will I'm sure have more success as this 2020 Tour de France does continue stage two today we will keep you bang up to date with that as we go and in the cricket as well England taking on Pakistan this is the second T20 clash between the two sides I can tell you that Pakistan 195 for four in their allotted 20 over so that's not bad going I always feel 10 10 and over is the par score, isn't it? Generally, yeah. Speaking. So you're looking at 200. 200. Yeah. So they're they're there or thereabouts. Babar Azam with 56 runs from 44 balls. Fakar uh, made 36, and Hafiz he made 69 69. runs off 36 balls. Yeah, that's a good innings, that for Pakistan. So we're between innings, England will return and they require 196 runs to get a victory on the board. Weather playing its part yet again in that opening ODI. Only 16 overs were played. There was no result, so it remains 0-0 in this one. Did you watch the game? Last night, Rob? I did, yeah. Arsenal yeah. against Liverpool. 1-1, yeah, yeah. it finished after the 19 minutes. Penalties, it went to, and it was Arsenal that emerged victorious. Read anything into the match itself? Yeah, I think, uh, once again, underlying, I think, our, our, our belief that Mikel Arteta is the right man for Arsenal. Mm. I've I got to say, I, I have wavered on that. Um, and I, I wondered whether he would be able to achieve what he wants to achieve with Arsenal if he wasn't given sufficient support from, from the board and from the, the sort of financial purse strings of the club to make the signings that he needs to make. But increasingly, you become a believer in Mikel Arteta. And I know a lot of Arsenal fans are very much in that camp where they are fully in belief that he is the man to, to take the club into a, a new, wherever that may be, a new era, a new, a new kind of... Uh, look, they're not going to be title contenders anytime soon, I don't think, but they are on an upward trajectory. And he just has that presence in the dugout. I can't really explain it. As, other than that, I had this weird sense that Arsenal were going to win. That, mm. uh, and I know, I know that's again. You can, can always that can be a, a Liverpool goal in the 90th minute would have would have obviously <laughs> put, put paid, paid yeah. put paid to that. But 
he's he's just got that knack. I think that coaches, the players love him. Mm. He has the respect of the players. I think that he is going to be responsible for keeping Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at that club. And if we want to read anything into this Community Shield, I think we need to read into the fact that it looks like over this summer, when he was on the fence, clearly, Aubameyang, with the FA Cup in their possession, with the Community Shield having beaten the champions, albeit on penalties, you get the sense that Aubameyang has been persuaded yep. that Arsenal is the club to be at. And I think that is, forget the Community Shield, that is absolutely crucial because if they'd lost him, it's a massive backward step. He's someone who's genuinely world-class. There aren't many available players in that position that are capable of doing what he does on a week-in, week-out basis. And it was absolutely imperative for Arsenal to keep him yeah. if they had any aspirations of going upwards. Well, Arteta says he's not worried about tying his skipper down. Negotiations very much ongoing. We can try to do as much as possible to convince the player or tell them what we think about him and put all the cards on the table to try to keep him here. But after it's the part of the player and the agent that have to agree to that. Yeah, it was a good win for Arsenal. Of course, no, don't read too much into it. It is, of course, ostensibly another friendly it's a glamour friendly bit of silverware at the end of it Jose Mourinho would say that that's one piece of trophy or silverware in the trophy cabinet mm, I'm not really of that it's a one-off game just a hunch though I am in, in, in I am anticipating troubled times not troubled times that's too much I'm anticipating a tough title defence for Liverpool we're just discussing the community shield yesterday it was won eventually by Arsenal 5-4 on penalties. It was the young Rian Brewster, 10 goals in 20 games on loan at Swansea City. I know there is some Premier League interest in the young English striker. Newcastle United being one of the clubs that have inquired about his availability on loan this season. It was he that missed the penalty, hit the crossbar from it. First Other touch. Than that, it was his first touch. It was his yeah, first it was. touch. He was brought on to take a penalty as well by Jurgen and he hit the crossbar, uh, the poor fella. But it was Arsenal that emerged victorious. And I couldn't help but thinking, and listen, I appreciate it, it is only one game. And we were talking about this at length in the office today, Rob. When you look at what Liverpool have done, and there is no doubt they have set the bar, the highest I think it's ever been from a consistency standpoint. You, you, you look at what they've done over the last two seasons. They lost the league by a point, 97 points I think it was, and then they did what they did last season. They had the league title wrapped up after, what, 31 matches? Mm. Seven games to go. They have been the model of consistency. That all being said, they have also been rather fortunate with injuries. Their big players have, by all intents and purposes, been fit for that whole period, the Salas of this world, the Mannies, the Hendersons, the Van Dykes, the Allisons, the spine of that team. And I watched them yesterday and I, I can't help but think it was the, it's the old fangled low block. Essentially, Arsenal just defended deep. That's an easier way of seeing it, saying it was a low block. They defended deep. They basically said to Salah and Manny, we're not going to give you space in behind. Go and try and break us down. And I couldn't help but think yesterday that they are missing a Coutinho type. And if a player of that ilk was to become available... Do Liverpool have the finance? That's question number one. But question number two, I do think Jürgen will need to just tweak Liverpool a little bit. I'm not saying they've been found out in any way, shape or form, but in order to keep this team evolving and to keep making sure that they can mount a, another title challenge and maybe go on and defend this title, I think they do need maybe one or two different players. Thiago Alcantara, they're being strongly linked with from Bayern Munich. I think he is someone they don't have. He is a metronome in that midfield. I think he would be an incredible signing if they were to sign uh, him up. I look at the front three. Can they be fit again? For a full nine months. Yeah, season. I just I just think that over time you play a certain way, teams learn how to play yeah. against you. There's always that to take into account. And 
I think all teams follow a cycle or a, or a kind of a, a kind of graph, if you like, of Liverpool. I think peaked last year, and you know, I know we made a lot of it when the, the resumption occurred. They were still good; they just weren't quite as good mm. as they were prior to the, the the lockdown and the postponement of, of football. So. I think that with the pressure on them to defend the title, we know it's not easy to defend a Premier League title. And we also know that the life cycle of a great team without constant reinvestment and refreshing and, and tweaking, as you say, is only a couple of seasons. You're not going to have a great team without big additions. And let's be honest, their last really significant additions were Virgil van Dijk and Alisson. Mm. That was what? Start of 2019. Mm. January, right? Van Dijk came in, didn't he? So, you know, we're heading into 2021. And that team hasn't really... Yes, they've had youngsters come through who, and who could it. potentially do well. There are some exciting youngsters. But, I'll but yeah, that. where's the big signing to, to say that we're here to defend our title? Well, that's that's kind of where... My, my feeling with it is, is that Manchester City could get sidetracked by the pursuit of Lionel Messi and forget to strengthen their defence. Because that's, I think that is a bigger priority for them. If you were to offer Manchester City, we'll give you a rock-solid defence, or you can have Lionel Messi, but not both. I think if they wanted to win stuff, I think the, the former yeah. is actually probably better. I, I've been reading a lot of articles kind of saying that, listen, is an ageing Messi really what Manchester City need? Is this just, this is fairy tale storybook stuff, but is this really what they need? I mean, they've never lacked scoring goals. They have been vulnerable at the back. So to strengthen, to bring in a world-class centre-back, that surely, to, to essentially what they never did, which was replace Vincent Company, mm. to do that, maybe that's actually a more pressing concern for them. So they, they don't look infallible by any means. Liverpool, I think, just are starting to, to need to be, as you say, just tweaked. having a bit just of tweaked. a refreshment. It's just a tweak. It might be a little tactical tweak. And Thiago Alcantara, we're getting a lot of messages on him. He would be, and I mean this, I know he's 29 now. He's been at Bayern Munich since 2013, the Spanish. And I call him a metronome because when you watch him, he dictates. He's like a conductor in there. He dictates everything, the, the pace. He very rarely gives the ball away. He is neat and tidy. He finds the little angles and he just makes things tick. In a midfield, he would be a, a sensational signing, and I do sincerely mean that. They're being linked as well with Ismaili Sar, who, of course, scored the two goals for Watford in that 3 0 win that saw Liverpool's unbeaten run come to an end. That was back in February. He's the young 22 year old who signed from Rain for big money. They're being linked with him as well as a backup to a Manny and a Salah, and I think that's an area of the football field that they do need to look into. Of course, one positive from yesterday was the goal from Takumi Minamino, the Japanese midfielder. A big fan of him, saw him a lot mm, at Red Bull Salzburg. Good. And uh, well, Klopp, speaking here, says it's not just his goal yesterday that stood out for him. He is in between, he's in close, in small spaces, really good. His first touch is exceptional. He's then in these, in this decision making between the lines, really quick, and that, that helps as well. So, yes, he can be a real player for us. That, that was always clear. And I do believe that. I think he will become a big, big player for Liverpool this season. But I do feel. They just need a little bit more. And I would be looking at a midfielder that just offers them something a bit different from your Wijnaldums, your Keitas, your Hendersons, your Milners, your Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Thiago is that, but he's more of a deep-lying playmaker. I would just, again, if I was a Liverpool fan, I say Coutinho, it's the obvious, it's the easy one to say, but someone that is just in the final third a bit different to what they've got. 
they're not going to sign Coutinho. I think he's very much in Ronald Koeman's plans at Barca, but someone like that, someone of that ilk. Liverpool fans, let me know your thoughts on that. And of course, the other big story that might have passed a few people by yesterday, some fans allowed in to yeah. the Brighton and Chelsea friendly match. 2,500 in the Amex Arena for that 1-1 draw between Brighton and Chelsea. Brighton, they moved heaven and earth to ensure the safety of those 2,500, but that's good to see and that's encouraging heading into this new season. Yeah, it remains to be seen how that will all all play out and when when I think we'll be able to move past the the behind closed doors for for all Premier League fixtures or for all fo- football fixtures in all the top 5 leagues in Europe for that matter, but um yeah, it's good to see at least they're making progress, but um, yeah. Well, I think we're a long way away from full stadiums. Yeah, I think we are, but it's a step in the right direction. Here's some fans at that game. Brighton won, Chelsea won. We saw Timo Werner. We'll get to fantasy football this week. We are setting up a league off script, extra time. We will be giving you that code on tomorrow night's show. But Timo Werner, I do wonder about him. Could he have the season that all Chelsea fans will be hoping he has? And that is goals, goals and goals. It was he that scored. It was Pascal Gross that equalised from the penalty spot later on. A 1-1 draw in the friendly. But here's the fans who were lucky enough to get briefed to that match. Here was their reaction. It was really fun with all the chanting, getting back because everyone's missed it so much. It's not the same, but it's better. It's better than nothing. Yeah. In the circumstances, I think they did amazing. I think it's the best of what you could hope for. That's it. Best of what we can hope for at this juncture. I think the Wolves of this world will be, will be increasingly capable of, of winning matches. And I'm not saying that Wolves are going to have a great season. I'm just saying that it's just very competitive. Leeds will come in. Leeds will get results off teams. I think Spurs will, yeah. will have their moments as well. Arsenal are clearly a team on the up. Manchester United... Let's see what they do, whether they end up signing a Jaden Sancho, whether they end up doing anything in the transfer market. Well, some reports out of the Netherlands this evening saying that they are closing in on the signing of the 24-year-old Dutch midfielder Donny van den Beek, who, of course, has really come to the fore. It was he and Frankie de Jong, Frankie de Jong in the Ajax midfield that took them to the semi-finals a couple of seasons ago in the UEFA Champions League reports out of the Netherlands. He did sit out Ajax's friendly against German side Frankfurt over the weekend. And it does indeed look as if Man United may well be closing in on his signature, which, listen, I'm all for a strong squad. Look at Donny van den Beek, though. He's not getting in ahead of Pogba. He's not getting in ahead of Bruno Fernandes. It's Jadon Sancho is still the one. I think we need more than a Donny van den Beek, but Mm. he is a fine player. So he is. I think the interesting thing with United is how much improvement are we going to see from Mason Greenwood? How much improvement is there to be had from Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford? Are they still... Have they peaked... Are they still getting better? Because if they are getting better, and I do think certainly Mason Greenwood will will continue to to advance and progress, yeah. and uh, you know that that in itself can can lead to a different dynamic within the team. Bruno Fernandez, you sort of know what you're getting with mm. him. You know he's consistent. He he brings a certain quality, but Mason Greenwood could suddenly become a 25 goal a season player. You ju- you just don't know. So I think that's the kind of that's the unknown quantity. And Spurs, I'll say this again: decent bit of business. They they completed the signing today of Matt Doherty uh, from Wolves, the right fullback, the right wing back, depending on what formation Jose goes for. For Wolves, certainly a right wing back, someone that would pop up in the uh, opposite field, uh, opposite end of the pitch, and get some big goals for Wolves. In fairness, over the last couple oh, he's of a fancy years, football stalwart. Yeah, I like I like that signing as well from Spurs. Hoiberg, I love as well. I think he's an astute piece of business. The midfielder, the Dane from Southampton, they completed that deal a couple of weeks ago. Throw in a freebie for 
Joe Hart. And I like Spurs' signings. They're not going to get too many headlines. Hoiberg, Hart and Doherty. But they're good Premier League additions, is what they are. And I think Spurs... I had a chat with my Spurs-loving fan yesterday. It ends, of course, the year 2021. Whenever the year ends in one, Spurs tend to be celebrating something when you look past in history. I think Jose gets a trophy for them this season. What were they celebrating in 2011? Not much in 11, but in 1961, of course, they won their league title. They won a UEFA. They were the first English team, British team, to win a European trophy. Uh, when it ends in one... Who finishes higher, Spurs or Arsenal? <laughs> that was a little friendly wager that was had yesterday between my Spurs-loving fan and Arsenal. Who finishes higher this season? <sighs> Probably Arsenal. Yeah, I thought so. I'd still back Arsenal to finish above Spurs. Of course, it could all go Pete Tong. Jose Mourinho could be out of a job come November. But yeah. equally, <laughs> equally, I wonder, does he find his mojo again? Jose and I like the signing of Doherty if you've not seen this on social media you've got to give kudos to the social media team at Spurs because uh, well he's been getting trolled over the last couple of days as Matt Doherty for a tweet that he sent out a number of years ago in which he stated publicly of course that he is a huge Arsenal fan now Spurs have recognised that they've poked fun at that and in their announcement video today with Matt Doherty signing on, they have <laughs> essentially got him in the Spurs kit, opening up a laptop and hitting delete on said tweet. Rather funny. It's gone viral. <laughs> it's Spurs kind of poking fun at themselves a little bit. But he will be a good signing. Far more dependable than a Serge Aurier or their other right-back options. He's a good signing. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Solid to see what Spurs do. We've also got to say a massive shout out to Juventus and Andrea Pirlo because he made his first signing over the weekend. Andrea Pirlo, Rob, is he going to do well? Or have they, have they, is he bitten off too much? Uh, oh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, as a player... Heck of a player. Um, incredible. Oh, immaculate. And as a man who commands immediate respect in he the does. dressing room, you know, he's got that all day long. I, I, I don't know anything about his managerial acumen. So I, uh, I would assume that... He uh, he's pretty astute tactically. I mean, I think it goes with the territory. Players of that ilk. I'm looking at Mikel Arteta. I'm looking at even Pep Guardiola Zizou. as a combative midfielder. Zizou as a magician at number ten. You know, players of that ilk, of that pedigree in their in their playing days, often make intelligent managers. Mm. I don't think there's any. I don't. You know, there's a strong correlation between that. But whether he's going to do well or not. I have no idea. I'm intrigued by all things UV to, this to coming a, season. To a certain extent, he's, it's almost impossible to fail in that job. You would think, but a time will come. And I think if Antonio Conte, which he does indeed look as if he will stick around at Inter, they're coming like a freight train. Make no mistake about that. Tactically very astute is Antonio. And I do wonder. I'm looking forward to the Serie A season upcoming. But uh, he did make his first signing. Weston McKinney, the American, young American from Schalke, has checked in on a season-long loan. 22-year-old is a good player. And I tell you what, America as well. Christian Pulisic, you've got him. I think a big season. You're expecting a big season from him yeah, so. at Chelsea. You've got now McKinney at Juventus. You've still got Giovanni Reina, the son of Claudio Reina at Borussia Dortmund. Expect big things from him this year. All of a sudden, a lot of young USA players playing for big clubs in Europe. And I do oh, wonder. good to see that. And a US Open, the likes of which, well, we've never seen before, will kick off tomorrow over in Flushing Meadows. New York City, no fans allowed in. It is a bubble. The players, the men and the women, will compete over two weeks in rather kind of bizarre and, and weird circumstances. Mm. But it's this story regarding Novak Djokovic 
uh, resigning as the president of the ATP Player Council. He is fronting a new association which is aiming to increase the power of the players. And the reason why there's so much intrigue around this, Rob, is that Messrs Federer, Nadal and Murray are having none of it. Yeah, they are, are absolutely having none of it. In fact, they've actually, for, for, for the first time in a while, they've actually raised their heads above the parapet on social media. Yes, Roger has. So Rafa initially tweeted, the world is living a difficult and complicated situation. I personally believe these are times to be calm and work all of us together in the same direction. It is time for unity, not for separation. These are moments where big things can be achieved as long as the world of tennis is united. We all, players, tournaments and governing bodies, have to work together. We have a bigger problem and separation and disunion is definitely not the solution. Roger, on Twitter... I agree with Rafa. These are uncertain and challenging times. I think he's reading off your playbook there, Chris. <laughs> but I believe it's critical for us to stand united as players and as a sport to pave the best way forward. This in light of the fact that Novak Djokovic has just established the Professional Tennis Players Association who met for the first time on Saturday at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Centre over in New York. They were pictured all standing socially distant unlike the Adria yeah. tour, uh, socially distant from one another, all wearing masks. Vasek Pospisil is uh, in, yeah, in, uh, in league with Djokovic yeah. for this. And it, it would appear that it's... Well, I don't know whether this this is not in place of the ATP. No, it isn't. And it's important to point Th- that this out. This is simply to give a louder voice to the players. I yeah. think that there's a feeling among the players that the prize money... On, for the Grand Slam tournaments is not mm-hmm. is not enough. Now, in, instantly I look at that and go, come on. I mean, the, the, I think the, the winner of the men's and men's and women's title at Wimbledon, I think they make two million pounds. If I'm not mis- I think, mistaken. Though, as further you go down, and I know we're trying to get a couple of of players on the show in actual fact, lower down. Forty thousand pounds the first round to losers so, take. I mean, forty thousand pounds. It's not to be scoffed at in any way, shape or form. But for these guys that travel around the globe trying to make it... Yeah, but they are first-round losers at Wimbledon. Yeah, but again... And the first-round losers of Wimbledon, they are, let's be honest, let's be let's be frank with this, largely they are players that you've never heard of, that you have to look up. Well, they're 100... What and is they're it? making 40 grand. Yeah, but that's, that doesn't sustain you for a year on tour. Yeah, but that's just one tournament. That, they're to making 40 through. grand in a week. Or one day. If you think about it, they're making two hundred thousand dirhams in a day. Mm. But for these guys, they, they don't think it's enough, and it's between sixty and seventy players who have sided with Novak on this. And as Robbie rightly points out, they are looking for a greater share of the re- revenue generated by the four Grand Slams. Novak, interestingly enough, has said he has said I've read the letter from the ATP, and they think that it simply cannot coexist with this association. He says that he has to respectfully disagree. Legally, we're one hundred percent safe. We're allowed to form the player association. We are not. He is insistent upon calling for boycotts. We are not forming parallel tours. This is an important step for players and for the sport as well. We just want to have our own organisation. That is 100% ours. We're definitely going to try and work with ATP and all the governing bodies. Now, it was put to him that Federer, Nadal, Murray, not too keen to link up with him. He had this to say. I would love to have Roger and Rafa on board. Of course, I would love to have all the players on board. But I understand. I, I truly understand that uh, you know some of them have different opinions and they don't think the, the time is right. Now, let's be frank about it. Why Ra- is he doing this? 
I don't understand it. I mean, Novak Djokovic has made hundreds of millions of dollars in his career. So I, I have to think that this cannot be for his own monetary gain. Surely he's now at a, a situation where his wealth is so vast. Maybe he's looking to make that this make is his mark. He's taking on a, dare I say it, a more kind of Bastion-esque role. He's trying to be someone that but the, the players look he's to. He's cast as a divisive figure. He is, but uh, he's still uh, got 60, 70 players who are backing him. You know, whilst we sit here and say Federer, Nadal and Murray aren't keen, and there will be others, Dan Evans being one, there are 60 to 70 players who absolutely are with him on all of this and you know as well not to, to be too critical but I do find it interesting that Rafa's the first to come out and say nah I'm not keen Roger then retweets and it's still a bit mealy mouthed a Durham for the thoughts truly the thoughts of Roger Federer you think Federer and Rafa have been on the blower to one another having a natter about this I mean obviously Roger doesn't need to weigh in on this but as the player that most people would say is very much the kind of father figure of tennis, the man that has more majors than anyone else. You know, I know you often defend him by saying he doesn't need to do that. He's not paid to be the voice of the players well, or the he, people. As I say, he he just obviously isn't. There are some individuals who have an administrative ambition. But you can bet your life, Rob. Who, who aren't. You I, can bet your life, not in private. He's saying a lot more. Probably, than, than of course he is. Yeah, but of course he is. He's not gonna. He's not gonna <laughs> reveal his innermost thoughts on Twitter, is he? He's going to toe the party line. I mean, Roger, to me, Roger, I, as far as I can see, doesn't have a, ma a great deal of interest in the administrative running of the game. I think he loves tennis for... for, for well, you, you see know, that, the Lever Cup administrative, that's his baby. Yeah, but that's a legacy event. That's not... That's not the administrative... That, that's not the the day-to-day -day running and operations of men's tennis. Whereas Djokovic that's, that's is That's an event. Yeah, the, the, yeah, exactly. Well, this is... This is the difference, like, in, a, in an organisation, in any company, you're going to have individuals who are aggressively, upwardly mobile in the sort of general admin, the kind of the, the, the top-level management decisions mm. of which Djokovic is clearly geared towards. He is that kind of an individual. And I think Roger would be the bloke in the corner keeping a low profile and just, you know, he's brilliant at his job, but just not with grand designs on on being the sort of master puppeteer. Because I, I just don't think, I, I honestly don't think that, that that's what he wants to do. I think the Lever Cup is is very much sort of something that he wants to to be the founder of, that he what he sees to be growing in, in the game, that one day may be as big as, say, Golf's Ryder Cup, and he can look back in his dotage when he's sort of 83 <laughs> yeah, years old right. going, I created that, that's mine. Oh, and, and by the way, I also won 20 Grand Slams. Well, the other member of the Big Four, and a lot of you there might think, well, it's only the Big Three. We put that question to Gail Monfils, remember, and we were shot down. It's the Big Four. Okay. The fourth member of that is Andy Murray. Well, he had we'll this to say. That. I'm not totally against a player union, player association, but I feel like the current management that are in place should be given some time to implement their vision and then also the fact that the women aren't part of it. I find that interesting as yeah, well. Yeah, but, but what he's saying there actually contradicts what Djokovic is saying because he's saying give the management the chance. Now, yeah. that would be the case if this player union was taking over from the management, but by all accounts, they're coexisting with the management. Yeah, they're just they're in a position now with Novak at the head of it, this new association, to make greater demands. It's like anything, the ATP and the tournament still exist, but of course, tournaments don't exist without 
the protagonists without the players. So Novak's now coming to the table, the negotiating table, in a far greater position of strength to say, well, if you want me and this other 60 lads and 60 people behind me, then this is what we demand. It, it's going to be interesting in the next coming months. Yeah. James, who said he wasn't going to choose. Yeah, I was going to seven, say, James. He stuck happened? around. He's been back. He says, you can understand the likes of Pospisil and those ilk, I guess, of pushing for more cash, those lower down yeah. the world rankings, but not for those guys in the top 50. It's ridiculous, especially from Novak. You can understand why some people don't like him. It will be interesting to hear Nick Kyrgios's views. And that's the thing now. People will be looking to Nick Kyrgios on Twitter to see what he's got to say about it. Yeah, he's become will. the voice. It's all rather bizarre. Is 2020. Who would have thunk it? Nick Kyrgios, <laughs> the voice of reason. The moral bastion, it's the mental. moral guardian of the game. It really Nick, is. Nick Kyrgios, a man known for tanking. Yeah. And throwing tantrums. Incredible. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.